electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, what might be the biggest, most important day for your money in years. A Fed decision just two hours away. Now stocks hanging on the edge in what's already been an incredibly volatile week. The Investment Committee here with me to debate the road ahead. Here for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Surat Sethi, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova, and Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go right to the wall, two hours to the Fed. That's how stocks look at this moment. 34,651 for the Dow. That's a gain of 354, 1% there. S&P 500 up 1.5%. The Nasdaq with a nice gain into the Fed meeting up 300 points, the 10-year note yield at 178. Jim Labenthal, you know I'm starting with you as I have been lately because you're the one who called the (laughs) Farmer Jim bottom, and that's what I'm calling it until it gets breached, in which it has not. Last night you tweeted you're still comfortable making that call. I feel I feel good about it, Scott. Um, let me just start with, you know, first off, thank you for having me on the last three days. It's obviously been an important period of time. On Monday, when the S&P 500 was down 4%, that felt like the washout capitulation. And that's why I made that call. Obviously, we're higher than that now. I don't think we go up in a straight line, but I don't think we go back to those lows. And the reason is simple. The economy is very strong. And what I point to on that is capital expenditures. It's Intel last week, building announcing the building of a $20 billion fab plant in Ohio. It's General Motors yesterday saying $7 billion plant for electric vehicle batteries in Michigan. On top of that, jobs are plentiful. You've got infrastructure spending coming. What's been holding the market back, we know, is the Fed, and obviously today is pivotal. But as I've said over the last two days, and I'll just make it succinct here, I think the market is way ahead of where the Fed is in terms of becoming aggressively hawkish. Yes, the Fed is pivoting. The Fed should pivot. But the market has gotten carried away, and that's why I felt it was pretty easy to make that call on Monday when that washout happened. We'll see if it Let's holds. see what happens when the press conference comes. Let's yeah, see. Go ahead. Let's see for sure. Um, Pete? Not to mention the fact we're down a lot, and we're down a lot this month, right? Yep. Dow's down 4.5% this month, yep. S&P 7.5%, and that's after we've had the kind of comebacks that we've had of late. The Nasdaq's down 11.5%. It was down a lot more than that. Nasdaq 100's down 11.5%. The Russell's down 9.5%. You've got the Innovation Fund over at ARC down 23%. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's down a lot, Pete, mm-hmm. which is why Jim yep. Labenthal said it was time to buy. We talked to Tom Lee yesterday, Pete, right here on the Halftime Report. He called in from some undisclosed location and said he'd be a buyer. Here's what Tom Lee said. Let's react mm-hmm. on the other side. We thought the first half would be tricky and that the highest probability of a 10% drawdown would take place in the first half of 2022, but we're already here. So, like, I, I almost think now, you know, we've priced in so much bad news that we're at the apex of that fear, and that means, you know, 
you know, like, for instance, the Fed meeting in March, it, it may end up being a big buying opportunity because we've already sold off so much. All right. So says Fun Strats. Tom Lee's been right, Pete. He's been right more than Tom Brady. Yeah. What about now, Pete, <laughs> the former Buccaneer player, now Buccaneer fan? Yeah, yeah. Is he right? Is it a great yep. buying opportunity? Well, I think there are, there are great buying opportunities out there. I don't know if it's necessarily for the entire broad market, though, Scott. I still think there are plenty of different names out there that we all know that are triple-digit, quadruple-digit PEs still, even after these moves to the downside. And so because of that, I still think there are names out there that don't deserve to even be trading where they are right now. But that being said, one of the reasons why uh, talking to you guys yesterday with the call-in, there were some opportunities, and I saw yesterday, a matter of fact, City as well as PayPal, I thought made more sense to, to jump back in. As a matter of fact, with PayPal, I was adding to a position that we, we had put on back in December and, and added to it again. Uh, it made sense to me because I like the levels. I like what they're doing. I like their crypto side of things and all of their acquisitions they've made. And then City, once again, I looked at that name. What, got, what drew my attention was obviously the unusual option activity, but um, I've been looking around at different financials. I think the financials still have room to the upside, but that doesn't mean everybody. I mean, a great example of that is even on a day like yesterday where City was relatively positive for most of the day, you look over at J.P. Morgan, some of the names that everybody seems to love, and there's pressure. And I think part of that pressure on some of those names has to do with, well, what about their valuation? If you look at the, that not on a P.E. basis, but you look at where they were trading in terms of a price to book multiple, some of the names are still pretty high. And that's why I think the pressure was on. So there are names out there, individual names, where I think you can dip your toe in there and, and, and take a shot. But that doesn't mean the entire market is a buy. I think there's still a lot of names, particularly in the Nasdaq side, that the multiples are still way too high. Okay. So, Steph, um, you had called in and you had told us you were a buyer of some things yesterday. Mm -hmm. BlackRock's Rick Reeder was on Squawk Box this morning, said, I think equities will still end the year higher, higher than where we were when we started the year. That's Rick Reeder. There's a lot of positivity out in the notes today. A lot of printers were busy this morning down on Wall Street. David Costin, Goldman Sachs, S&P is going to still climb and finish the year at 5,100. City calls this a healthy dip. Deutsche Bank says positioning has been flushed. UBS says we continue to expect solid earnings growth. What do you think, Steph? Where are we heading into what is, um, you know, arguably the most consequential Fed meeting in years? Yeah, so I don't see the Fed as being aggressive or really hawkish today. I think they have to change policy given the economic growth and given what we're seeing on in inflation. So a taper, ending of a taper, and in three to four hikes is kind of normalization of policy, right? And then I think after they do that, they can actually be data dependent. In fact, my theme for 2022 is data dependent. We're all going to be data dependent, right? So after they do this normalization, let's see what, what happens. Um, and I don't think normalization changes the course of the economy growing above trend, of inflation being above trend. Maybe it comes back a little bit in the second half of the year, but I think it's still going to be elevated. And so we'll have to see what the Fed does at the that point. But it doesn't change the pent up demand in the economy. And that is that services mainly. And that's 70 percent of our of our economy. So we're rooting for the pent up demand and consumers to spend. 
But into this decline, I did see some opportunities, much like many of us. But I'm looking at high quality, best in breed, number one or number two in their industries with great balance sheets. And if there's one theme so far in earnings that I know we're early, but one theme that's come across loud and clear, it's free cash flow. And it's surprising to the upside. Mm. And why is that important? Because companies can then pay down debt. They can actually invest in CapEx, which we haven't seen a real CapEx cycle in quite some time. They can increase buybacks and, sh and, and increase uh, dividends, which they've been doing for many years. But in addition to that, they're going to try to find some growth. And M&A last year, $5.8 an all-time record. I think that continues as well. So that's why I saw some names. I continue to look for some names. Pete mentioned the financials. I'm 600 basis points overweight by financials. And after earnings, I still want to buy more. I want to be even more aggressive there because of the valuations and the capital returns. You know they're in there buying on the bad days, right? They're telling you that practically, but there's plenty of other areas. It's in tech. It's 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 also value. It's also reopen. It's a combination. So stay diversified and pick your spot. So and Joe, stay patient. So Joe, uh, Barmer Jim is confident that we hit the bottom. Tom Lee says you can buy stocks. It was probably probably the bottom. Others clearly are echoing that. And I read it to you from down on Wall Street today. What about you, the guy who runs an ETF named Joe T? Got a lot of stocks in there, Joe, that that are hanging in the balance of this call. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think we had some great comments from both Pete and Stephanie, and it really is a market of stocks. And that's the way I'm absolutely thinking about it. Steph is talking about free cash flow generation. Let's keep in mind, strong balance sheet companies will continue to underperform until you get that rate hike. In fact, if you go back to 2004 for the S&P, they underperformed by 3%. On the other side, when you finally get the rate hike three months later, they reversed the 3% negative performance, and they're actually four months higher. So I think that when I look at this market right now, Scott, what I see is that the NASDAQ is 5% below the 200-day moving average. Can all the indexes rally towards their 200-day moving averages? And Jimmy's correct. Absolutely, that can occur. But do I think that the NASDAQ X the fangs has seen the low for the year? No, I do not. Do I think the Russell has seen the low for the year? No, I do not. Do I think that companies that are non-profitable have seen the low for the year? No, I do not. Do I think on Monday you had a tremendous opportunity to buy stocks that are going to experience the V recovery, as I talked about Monday? Without question. And those names are the NVIDIA, the Adobe, Pete's Talking Financials, that's a Bank of America, or Berkshire Hathaway. Jimmy's going to talk about defense stocks. How about a Lockheed Mark? Martin or Northrop Grumman. You could look at J&J or Merck. Those are the type of companies that I think you want to own right now. I think what a balance sheet looks like is finally going to matter in this market for the first time in the last three years. Okay. So it brings me to Surat on the question of the moment as to what you think about where we are right now. Are we in a, a Daniel Jones market? Surat, we have a couple of good games, right? A couple of days where we go up a lot, then we start fumbling the ball again. The minute we get touched, turning the ball over, or we have a Josh Allen market. We've cleaned out some of the mistakes and stuff. Now we're reliable again, right? And we've got something to build on again. What do you think? I, I think we're in between there. I think, uh, you know, Joe is absolutely right. I think cash flow, balance sheets are going to be really important, especially as the credit markets open up. And that's the one thing that, you know, we don't really talk about that much is, 
when the credit markets actually open up and you get real clearing prices to your bonds and people are issuing debt, you want companies that are reliant on their balance sheets. And I think going forward, the ones that also can control their margins and, and grow top line. So, you know, when you look at some of the financials that have come, come down quite a bit, I mean, you look at First Republic down 20 percent, you look at Silicon Valley Bank down over 20 percent. These are companies that have huge operating leverage on the upside. I think in, in you know, healthcare, you've, you've got companies like Joe mentioned, J&J. Uh, and then on the tech side, I think, you know, you've got great companies like a Qualcomm that, that's come off quite a bit. So there, there are definitely stocks here to nibble at and to buy again. Uh, but I don't, I don't see the road being pretty straight line. It's going to be pretty rocky, uh, especially as we get more earnings and companies trying to assimilate higher wages, higher input costs. Don't forget oils that are really at, at high as well. So, so it's going to be stocks that, that can maneuver and companies and managements that can do that. Okay. Um, I mentioned a lot of the notes coming out today, and most of them leaning positive. Our headliner today had one of those, Dubrovko Lakos. He's the global head of equity macro research at J.P. Morgan. He joins us again. He said, we see this market sell-off as, as overdone. It's good to see you, Dubrovko. Why do you think so? Well, we think it's overdone, uh, especially in the short term, just given that uh, Fed expectations we think are sky high. And I think the bar for the Fed to surprise to the upside here is quite low. So let's see. Uh, so that's one. And then two, I think you have uh, you know a number of potentially favorable uh, technical aspects or positioning aspects playing out, especially into month end. You got this uh, month end pension rebound coming up, uh, which should be a buy for equities given the, the, the big sell up in the market or not big, but the sell up in the market. Uh, there's been a pretty big flush already uh, across a number of different hedge funds and quants. Uh, so, for instance, the systematic world, we estimate equity exposure wise is down to 20th percentile, uh, you know, good size flush. And then buybacks, you know, we've been in sort of this uh, blackout buyback period that will be reaching peak levels Friday of this week, Monday of next week. And so I think, uh, you know, you know, you, you will get some some additional support from from that side. So I think short term, um, we really like the setup in the market. Medium term, I think things re- remain somewhat more nuanced and very much so dependent on. On, on the Fed, on the, on the Fed path and on inflation. When you say the Fed is likely to strike a more dovish tone, and I'm just wondering if that's false hope. And I just point to what numerous people have said this week, right, that if you're waiting for that, you may end up being disappointed at 2 o'clock this afternoon and thereafter when you hear from the Fed chair. And by the way, Fred Mishkin, right, formerly of the Fed, not the chair, obviously, but nonetheless, his voice is an important one. When you're behind the curve, he said this morning on CNBC, you have to do your job. It was basically throwing cold water on this assertion that, you know, Powell's going to throw some bone to market bulls. Yeah, no, I, I know that narrative. Look, I'm not saying a dovish pivot. No one is saying a dovish pivot here. We're saying versus expectations. Expectations are at stratosphere levels. And I think the other thing that we need to sort of ask the question is, you know, inflation, this big inflation wave, is this supply or demand driven? It's We see it largely supply driven. So if Fed is really going to move as aggressively as, as perhaps they've been guiding, they're just going to slow down demand. And I don't see how they really solve supply. What are they going to pump more oil? Are they going to basically solve the issues at L.A. port? They're not. So to me, again, forward guidance, they've guided very aggressively. It's the right thing to do. Make sure that long term inflation expectations are anchored. They've done a pretty good job so far. But I think the bigger question is the follow through market is expecting full blown follow through. I'm thinking it's going to be a partial follow through. And so once I think we get more comfort on that side, risky assets start to breathe more easily. I mean, for God's sakes, look at small caps. Small caps are trading multiple wise at 20 year lows. 
I'm glad so, you I'm glad you went there because that literally was where I was going to go next. It's part of your call today of this great buying opportunity and things being so overdone. And you specifically point to small caps, which Joe Terranova just said he doesn't think the bottom is in for, let's say, the Russell 2000. So I'll bring Joe in. Joe, why don't you make that part of what you wanted to ask Dubrovko, assuming you had a question for him? Sure, absolutely. Dubrovko, just just kind of listening to your commentary, I, I agree with you. The setup here in the near term is one where we can get an overall bounce for the indexes, but it sounds like that bounce is something that we should be looking to maybe sell the rally on. And I guess if we're thinking about the Federal Reserve right now, and it's going to be a Federal Reserve uh, Scott's talking football, that, that's going to be a Bill Belichick Federal Reserve and do your job. How could they know how to respond when one month ago the price of oil was 71, today it's 87? Where, what kind of clarity are they going to have when March rolls around that the price of oil is not going to be $100 and they're going to have to do their job, which is be more aggressive, and it's going to pressure long-duration assets and stocks like small caps? No, so oil is one part of the equation. There's many other parts of the equation as well. So, yes, I, I happen to agree, and that's our house view, that oil prices likely stay structurally high and, and actually move higher. Uh, and, again, a lot of that happens to be supply-driven. You know, maybe ESG is playing a role here. Uh, but I think there's other parts of inflation that I do think start to uh, start to come up and ease. So I don't think it's all that straightforward. And, and I think for the Fed uh, to be basically hiking and causing a slowdown in demand, Due to a supply-driven oil shock, I'm not sure what, what we're really accomplishing at the end of the day, right? So what, what are you going to have? Demand collapse and then what? Unemployment rate then start at some point moving uh, uh, higher. So, so again, to, to me, I just think expectations have gotten pretty far. And you're definitely seeing that in multiples. I know that the market, S&P, which I'm not even sure is that good of a benchmark of equity health at this point, given it has such a big low-vol uh, bond proxy exposure, everything around it is not in a bear market, it's in recession territory, right? So uh, you look at prices of high beta stocks, you, you look at even price moves off even the big 10 stocks in the US down 20% on average. Um, I think expectations have gotten quite far and small caps, especially so. So again, I, it's, it's very hard to time the bottom, but I think we're basically, um, you know, I think we're sort of at, on, on the lower end of that range. And to me, small caps at this point, just given where sentiment is, I think uh, I think you want to be long, not short. Stephanie Link for Dubrovko. Hi, Dubrovko. Question for you. Wondering what your earnings trajectory is for the first half of the year and the second half of the year. We all know that stocks follow earnings on the up and on the downside. And I wonder if you worry about the inflation, about margins versus the demand that has actually stayed resilient, especially in the consumer on the consumer side of, of the equation. So I do, I do worry for specific sectors, 100%. Um, you know, there is definitely sectors that are starting to see restocking, inventories gradually building up, and at some point, you know, input costs moving higher. There is sectors that are definitely more labor sensitive, and, you know, margins on that front will get squeezed perhaps at a time when top line also starts to decelerate. So uh, on the consumer discretionary space, you definitely can look at specific sub-industries that are facing those, that, that will be facing those headwinds. But I think on the flip side, there's other industries, very much so COVID sensitive, where where margins uh, and top line potential is still below pre-pandemic levels. And I think there's a lot of potential for them to re-rate. So I think there's going to be a bit of a rotation on the margin side. And then S&P as a whole, um, I think margins hold. I, I, I'm personally not that alarmed about 
you know, wage inflation eroding S&P 500 margins. Again, S&P is largely labor insensitive. Revenue per employee has only gone up. And again, a lot of that happens to be tied to the mega cap tech names uh, that, that, that sort of have that healthy margin profile. So again, I think rotation, but I think at the aggregate level, um, I think the margin story should be fine. Now, as far as earnings go, we're basically looking at about 10 to 15 percent uh, upside in earnings growth in absolute terms. Consensus is pricing in, I would say, about 50, 60 percent of that. So we think there is some small upside on, on top of that mm. driven by top line and with some small operating leverage increase. OK. And then there's the black effect as well. All right. Pete. Dubravko, I've got a quick one. First of all, you sound very confident. I love hearing that out of somebody uh, who's talking about the macro side of things right now. And you're talking about small caps specifically outside of small caps themselves, though, is energy. It sort of sounded to me like is energy your favorite sector right now or what is your, what are your top two sectors, would you say, right now that you think have the most upside at this point? So, like, you know, if you look at our outlooks and all the reports we published, energy has been our highest conviction overweight going into 2021. And it's our highest conviction overweight going into 2022. We still like it. I don't even call energy a cyclical sector at this point. It's an animal of its own. It has so many idiosyncratic forces. Like I said, artificially deprived supply. I don't see these things changing anytime soon. So energy, high conviction, we continue to like. Um, now, other areas, the travel theme, if you want to call that some form of theme or sector, I think there's a very strong trade there going into the summer. Uh, that trade sort of worked and it pulled back. I think we now go sort of, towards a stage where it really starts to work as Omicron more decisively rolls over and we get closer to endemic. And then I would look at the other side of the barbell and just say tech. I think you got to like tech here. And it's not just mega cap tech, which I fully agree with some of the comments made earlier. Uh, Valuation-wise, quite compelling. Fundamentals, pretty sturdy. But I would actually highlight high beta growth stocks down 60, 65, 70, 75%. There's no differentiation being made between high beta U.S. growth stocks and China Internet, where people are afraid that people are afraid to touch for transparency reasons. So, look, I think there's a massive fire sale. I'm not saying all is good. I think you differentiate. But there's a lot of very attractive opportunities, definitely for anyone that's a little bit more of a longer term investor. I appreciate your appearance today. Uh, it's good to hear from you. A lot of conviction behind your call, too, which we appreciate as well. Yeah. We'll see you again yeah. soon. Thank that, you. That's Dubravko Lakos. Um, joining us today. Let's bring in Steve Leisman now. He's the man of the hour. Well, maybe the second man of the hour. Jay Powell is uh, the man of the couple hours. Steve, senior economics supporter, uh, of course. Um, I hope Powell was practicing in the mirror last night, Steve, because this is the most important communication that he's ever going to give. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, important uh, communication in that he has to pivot and really come up with new language, new guidance, all kinds of things that have to be uh, rejiggered. I think he'll probably talk about in the in the statement what they'll say is that uh, rates have to go up before long. They won't say specifically, but they'll say uh, it may be appropriate to raise rates uh, sometime soon in the statement. I don't think we'll get that the balance sheet, but um, I, I think he has the market you know, kind of where it wants, he wants it to be. When I look at the change since the pivot, this is how I I do it a little bit differently how you do it, uh, Scott. I'm looking at, for example, yield since the pivot. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got 50 basis points on the two-year. He's got 30 or 40 on the five and the 10. Um, I don't think he has a reason to back off where the market is priced right now because I think he needs these higher yields in the system in order to help slow the economy somewhat. And I just want to say one more thing, Scott, which is, Everybody on the panel seems pretty happy, and I know Farmer Jim is happiest of all. He's out there 
making hay, I think, in his, in his overalls. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I want to just give one little statistic here, which is from our Fed survey, 51% of our respondents, Scott, they think the Fed is eventually going to have to raise rates above neutral and slow the economy. So I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's the risk out there is that all of this doesn't end up all that beautifully in terms of inflation coming down and the Fed only having to do a certain amount of hikes. I mean, it's there, just the there, risk that's there seems there. to be this developing narrative in the last couple of days, at least, of don't worry, the, the market's just gotten ahead of itself. Powell's going to throw you a bone. Don't worry about it. I mean, Dubrovko Lakos said today the Fed's likely, he was just on with us, Fed's likely to strike a more dovish tone. And I'm just wondering what you you think about all that. As I said to, to, you know, earlier about Fred Mishkin earlier, it's like what he said. It's like the Fed's got a job to do. Inflation's worse than they thought. It's a problem. okay? And they have a job to do and they're going to go do it. They're not going to throw, you know, a nice little screen pass to the bulls so they can go run for a touchdown. You know, Scott, I think there's a bit of a, of, a, of a syndrome going on here. Do you ever watch a football game on your television and go like this and give body English to try to get the, the running back to move? Um, I do that all the time, especially when I'm watching, unfortunately, the New York Giants. That being the case, um, I think the market thinks that its moves have an effect at these levels on the Fed. I don't think they do. Well, I has. don't think that what's happened so far it has, though, in the past. is enough to have it. Right? Don't, don't, hate on the, don't hate on the market for thinking that because – it has had an impact on the Fed in the it past. It has in the past. No, right, right, right. And I have never moved a running back by, by my body English uh, watching, watching the television. That being the case, I, I think it's overstating it at this point. I don't think the market changes here are enough to dissuade. You're right. The Fed has a job to do. 7% inflation. Uh, uh, the, the economy doing reasonably well. You probably got a bunch of upgrades from the data this morning to fourth quarter GDP. Uh, the unemployment rate of 3.9% seen going down. Uh, it's it's off size to continue your football metaphor there, Scotty. Um, uh, and it needs to uh, it, it needs to get on size before another flag is thrown. Let me last ask you before I let you run, uh, Steve. We're looking right here at some of the survey um, answers. Powell as a communicator. Um, is he up to the task today? Because I, I know I joke at the, at the outset about how consequential his comments are going to be today. I just can't think of a time in which they would be more important than they are at this moment, given the volatility that we've had in the stock market coming into the press conference. Yeah, I, I think Powell's got this. I, I think he's a very good communicator. I think, you know, what I was doing this morning was trying to think of how he's going to finesse all this, these things. I think they'll come up with something clever. I think everybody will be reasonably satisfied. I think what you'll be dissatisfied is not enough, um, uh, not enough detail for what, you, for, for, for what we want for where the Fed's going to go for the rest of the year. I think he'd only go as far as the committee. I, I don't think his problem is a communicator. I think his problem has been as a forecaster. Yeah, well, you're right. No, you're, you're, you're right about that. All right. We will see you later. Uh, can't wait. The decision and the meeting. Sure, Scott. Not that far away, and we'll listen for your question, Steve. As I said, we've got Microsoft earnings to talk about. We've got big ownership on the desk, so you need to hear what their plays are. And what a ride that stock had after earnings down. Then the conference call stock was up. Nice mover today out of the Dow. We'll talk about that. We'll give you some trader moves in two minutes as well.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. NBC News is reporting that liberal Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer will retire. After 27 years on the court, he is expected to step down in June at the end of the court's current term. Biden has pledged to appoint a black woman to the court. His choice is expected to maintain the 6-3 to three split of conservative and liberal justices. And on the news tonight, who might take Breyer's place on the Supreme Court? A look at some candidates and the coming nomination fight tonight at 7 Eastern. Russia, meantime, threatening retaliation if the U.S. and NATO do not meet its demands over Ukraine. Russia's defense ministry released this video of military vehicles moving towards a region bordering Ukraine. In the last hour, the U.S. ambassador to Russia formally delivered America's response on those demands to Russia's foreign ministry. And the U.S. embassy in Ukraine urging Americans to consider leaving the country now. The embassy says that the security situation continues to be unpredictable and could deteriorate with little notice. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate that. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, I want to show you some pictures. President Biden is meeting today with CEOs in the next hour, supporting his Build Back Better plan. There you go. There's Mark Benioff. Recognize him, of course, of Salesforce, just arriving at the White House. Mary Barra of General Motors is also expected to attend, and we'll keep you updated as to exactly what takes place at that meeting at the White House today. All right, Pete, hey, did you see Microsoft, Pete? It's got a three-handle again. <laughs> <laughs> it's back above yeah. 300. Yeah, recap. three. <laughs> it's amazing, right? I mean, the yo-yo of last night was incredible. And a lot of that you can attribute to, you know, you do get a little less liquidity, of course, in the after hours. And I think that's part of it. But also, the bears were able to eat it up for a minute or two or a little while. And then all of a sudden, we started to hear, uh, once we got the call going, that's when everybody just jumped right back on and they got back on board with Microsoft. I'll tell you what, Scott. When you've got a $2.2 trillion market cap company and you're still growing your revenue and your earnings at 20 plus percent, that says a lot. And that's exactly what they did. This is an unbelievable company. They do a great job of execution. I know Joe's got to be fired up because he talks about buybacks all the time. They bought back $6 billion worth of stock in the quarter. So this is something that, uh, you know, when you look at every single number, whether it's Azure that's still up 46 percent, down for 50 percent, but still growing rapidly, 
across the board, they just hit it home run after another. And obviously, they've got that new acquisition going as well. That's something I think that people are going to be looking forward to in the, you know, now distant future. But that will come up faster than people think. I think they just continue to move in the right direction. And Satya, once again, shows you why he is one of the CEOs that you've got to look at and say, you know what, that guy might be the best in the industry. And I look at it and say that almost every day. Unbelievable what they did. High praise uh, in an industry with a lot of highly respected CEOs. All right, Joe, he mentioned you. You own the stock. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the guidance clearly, clearly assuaged all the concerns that folks had regarding the ability of the cloud business to accelerate its growth. We know that. But I think the Pete's point is something that's so special about this company in the management. And Pete's done a great job communicating that over the last several years. I want everyone to think about this for one second. We know that we've got challenges in the semiconductor industry, right? Very difficult to get chips. But yet, look at the Xbox consoles. Look at the Surface devices from Microsoft. Didn't affect them because Microsoft and their partners were able to go out and have the availability and get the needed semis to go into those products. And you saw better supplies on both Xbox and the Surface during the prior quarter, which is surprising to all and indicative of just how excellent this management team is. Yeah, Surat, you got it too. Yeah, I, I was very impressed by, uh, you know, every metric that they talked about. And if you look at the cloud piece, and we knew there was so much spending that had been done, you know, a year ago. So for them to come out and grow cloud the way it is, I think it's also really good for some of the rest of the tech stocks. You look, look at a Google that's going to come out that's so focused on cloud as well. So I think it's a really good indication, uh, you know, unlike when the financials came out and you had J.P. Morgan kind of set the tone. I think Microsoft setting the tone really well. And I think if, they, if the other tech stocks follow, especially some of the mega caps that have this operating leverage, I think this is going to be good for the market. Okay, so Surratt's got it, Joe's got it, Pete's got it, Link don't got it. <laughs> Stephanie Link doesn't own Microsoft. Link doesn't own Microsoft. Why not, Steph? <laughs> I knew it. Look, it's a great company, and, and I, was, I, too, applaud the cloud strategy, and there's only 15% of businesses or workloads that are in the cloud. So cloud is here to stay. It's going to be a trillion-dollar total addressable market. I just try to find other ways to play the cloud that maybe not everybody is in, and everybody is in Microsoft. You just, thought, you just heard it from our desk, and it also trades at 32 times earnings. I know it's growing like a weed, but I can find companies that are actually poised to grow further, and their valuations are much less depressed. So Broadcom is certainly one, and it's up 5% today, um, and it trades at 17 times. You get a 3% yield, and they're not only cloud, they're AI, they're data center, they have exposure to Apple, they just announced a 14% increase in their dividend and a $10 billion buyback. Um, and they also raised numbers when they reported just a few weeks ago. So I like that one. And then my barbell, my value names Here that everybody go. seems to hate is IBM, is IBM. <laughs> well, we didn't talk about IBM yesterday, right? So I have to put a plug in I it. Mean, but maybe, it was actually maybe up 5% yesterday. No, 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 not not as of now, because look what they're doing. And I think Peter actually also owns this, by the way. But um, the, it was up 5% yesterday in a very, very challenging tape. And I think it's because the company is... Is, is kind of like in the early innings of what they said they were going to do in terms of the cloud transition. I mean, hybrid cloud for them grew 18%. Red Hat grew 19%. They beat on earnings. They beat on revenues. It trades at 13 times of the five yield. 
and nobody owns it, and nobody even knows what they do. So that's why I think there's opportunity there. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not dismissing Microsoft as a great company. I just think there's better value elsewhere. Understood. I knew you were going to go there. I'm just playing. All right, still I had ahead. To. Thank you. Pete's got unusual activity <laughs> trades coming up. Plus, we'll tell you the ETFs to watch today amid all of the market volatility. And before the break, let's show you the S&P sector heat map. There it is, led by technology, way outperforming the other sectors today. We're back right after this on the half. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. With turmoil in the markets, active management is again assuming an important role in the mutual fund and in the ETF community. Let's talk about it with Brian Lake. He's the global head of ETF solutions at J.P. Morgan. Dave Nautic, my old friend, CIO and director of research at ETF Trends. Brian, you oversee the largest active fixed income ETF. That's the ultra short income ETF. Why has active management again become a big play in 2022? Well, look, Bob, uh, active management and active ETFs combines the best of both worlds, in my mind. Uh, You get the benefits of the ETF wrapper, trades throughout the day, tax efficient, transparent, with the intentional outcomes that active management uh, can provide. Uh, And if you think about the guests that were on the show just before this, they know exactly what they own and why they own it. Uh, Every single stock or bond that's in an active portfolio that uh, JP Morgan provides, there's a portfolio manager that knows exactly why they own it in the portfolio. And and what they're trying to accomplish there. So as you point out, we have the largest active uh, ETF in the U.S. in, in JPSD, the ultra short uh, fixed income play. Uh, we're also really excited about our, our latest launch, which is the Climate Change Solutions ETF, an active play, uh, the first active play on sustainable uh, uh, climate change solutions. And, and so we think that's a big deal and investors are looking for that uh, uh, to, to, to incorporate it into their portfolios. Dave, I have uh, seen huge volume in some of the big ETFs this week, like the S&P 500 ETFs, four or five times daily average volumes. Now, that suggests a lot of trading, obviously. But what about investors? Are there any notable inflows or outflows that really stick out to you about this week's activity? Well, I think the most important thing is over the last five sessions, we've actually had about 13 billion flow into equity. So ETF investors are definitely buying the dip here. They're putting money to work. About four of that has been into U.S. equity specifically. So as you point out, we've seen a lot of volume, a lot of froth in, say, the Qs and SPY. And yeah, we've had a few days of outflows there, but the trend has very much been strongly buying the dip, putting money back to work. 
Okay, a lot more on active management coming up on ETF Edge. We discuss new ETF products that enable you to stay in the market and still have downside protection. ETFedge.cnbc.com. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time, halftime, back right after this. I want to show you shares of Rivian. Take a look at that. It's a spike of about 10% on a report that the company is upping its production uh, for pickup trucks. So a nice move there. Uh, Pete, one-time owner of this stock, no longer. Yep. Right. It's interesting, Scott. It's interesting to see what's going on with Rivian on this little spike on that news. And also, we are seeing a little bit of activity in the January 28th expiring. So those are very short term. Those are this week, the 65 strike calls. About 5,000 of those are trading in there. You know, the, the auto area right now is pretty interesting, Scott, because when, when you look at what's going on there, you look at something like Ford and you look at, at GM and we've had huge paper. Tesla, we've got earnings tonight, and mm-hmm. it's not nearly the kind of volumes that one might expect. It's a little bit lighter, so I think that's worth pointing out. Now, a lot of the time, the second half of the day is when people really start shifting around and positioning. And I will say this, implied volatilities in Tesla has risen from around 50 up towards 100. So it's a much different animal than it once was just even a few weeks ago when the volatilities were far less. So I've got two real uh, unusual options for you, Scott. I'm going to start off with Cleveland Cliffs. I know that puts a smile on Jimmy's face, but we do see some buying in there. As a matter of fact, they bought 10,000 of the July 20 calls in there, paying about $1.65. They're actually hedging those against something a little bit higher. Stock was about $16.50 at the time. I got one more for you, Flex. We don't talk about this name very often. Singapore company, it's actually an electronic components company over in Singapore. It's interesting because... 10,000 of the February 16 calls with the stock trading a little bit above 16. They bought 10,000 of the 16 calls for a little over a dollar. So that just tells me that somebody's looking and they want a little bit more leverage. They're not buying an out of the money call. They're buying an in the money call or at the money of where the stock is right now. So that one's interesting as well. I do own both Flex and Cliffs. I do not have a position in Rivian right now. Okay. Now, Pete, I have to throw a flag on you because that was a false start. Yeah. Right. We weren't supposed to do that oh, there, <laughs> but that's OK. I'll, I'll let you off. You back up five yards. OK, just chill. OK, let me take a quick break. I do want to talk about Tesla and some of the other stories of Fords and the General Motors, and we'll do it after this break. All right. So we showed you Rivian. That stock is spiking, as you see. It does lead us to Tesla after the bell tonight. Joe T., uh, Tesla is in the Joe T. Sure is. High expectations tonight, Scott. That's for sure. Stock held its 200 moving day average on Monday, so technically the formation still looks good. They've got to exceed expectations here in the near term to extend the positive momentum. But here's the real story that you need to think about with this company, and it's something that you need to think about with a longer-term vision. In the last two years, Tesla has paid down billion worth of debt. You know what that allows them to do? That allows them now to be one step away from being a blue chip company. That's right. Being investment grade. Could we ever have imagined Tesla would be an investment grade company? They'll probably achieve that at some point a year from now, and they'll benefit from a lot cheaper financing. It's a remarkable balance sheet recovery, and that's why you're owning the stock for the long term. Okay. I did notice as well, Pete, um, that Plug Power, one of your stocks, did get a positive initiation today over at Susquehanna. The price target at $26. You have Plug Power calls. Plays into the same kinds of story. 
Yeah, it does. The EV space in general. And, you know, I know that there's been an up and down, but I, I bring up Freeport all, all the time as well because of the copper component and how much is used in the EV space. So there, there's a lot of different um, sides to this thing that, that can come into play. And I think plug power is definitely just one of those. But, yeah, I like the fact that I've got those calls, Scott. They're very inexpensive. Gives me an opportunity to play in that space that much more. As you know, I've been out of Rivian for a while, but I've been looking at Tesla. I've been staring at it all morning, nothing. And then as we're getting a little bit now into the afternoon, seeing a little bit of activity. So uh, I'm sure before the end of the day, we will see a lot of people leaning one way or the other in the options markets, no doubt. I'm taking a look at General Motors, too. Uh, Farmer Jim, 52 week high on GM 67. We're at 53 today. Yeah, I'll make this pretty simple. This year is projected to be a record free cash flow year for General Motors, and by a lot, by you know almost 2x the prior record. So you know what I'm looking for in the earnings that come up is a distribution, either dividends or share repurchases being announced. But either way, at eight times earnings, this year's earnings, the stock is just simply too cheap, and especially if I compare it to Tesla at 100 times earnings. But I don't need to compare it. On an absolute basis, GM should do much better than the market this year. Just compare it to Ford. I mean, Surratt? Why G you own GM and not yeah. Ford? Why? Well, I, I, I like GM because I also like its product line. I like the management team. And I agree with Jim. I think the, the catalyst here is going to be a, a distribution of cash flow, and I hope it's a dividend. They canceled their dividend during the downturn. Ford re-initiated the dividend. Their stock popped. You've got a whole investor base that likes dividends. GM is a value stock, and a value stock without a dividend does not have the base that you need. So I think... By, by signaling to the market we are going to do really well and we're initiating a dividend, you'll see a multiple expansion and, and with earnings growth. You don't like the F-150 and, and Jim Farley, Surratt? <laughs> it's not I don't like it. I like GM better. I mean, I, I think GM's got, got a better mousetrap and Ford is going to do just fine, but, but where I'm going to allocate my capital is more towards GM. All right. We'll do final trades next. Mr. Show, don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast. Final trades in just a moment. First, though, Joe Terranova, you have a new buy, ADM Archer Daniels Midland. Why? I listened to Mark Fisher on uh, Friday. He's uh, completely correct. There is a buy-the-dip strategy in commodities. I want exposure to agriculture. ADM, Archer Daniels Midland, is a company at a reasonable valuation that gives you exactly that. And clearly right now, being in agriculture and energy seems to be the right play. Why don't you give me a final trade too, Joe, please? Sure. Not all small caps are, are created equal. There is opportunity in some of them. And FDS, FactSet, is a name that I think you could own here. Okay. Uh, Pete, you bought the Jets ETF calls. You bought some more Live Nation calls. Give me your final trade, though. Yep. Um, I already own Uber, and I'm trying to buy more, but I'm seeing some huge call buying in Uber February 37th, so Uber's my final trade. Okay, which takes me to Sirac because he owns Uber, but what's your final? Uh, American Express, great earnings and huge trajectory coming forward. Wait till TNE comes back and the stock will do very well. Okay, and the Linkster. 
Schlumberger, I've been adding to it after the quarter of beaten raise margin expansion, international pricing, and a billion three in the fourth quarter alone in free cash flow. I think it goes much higher. Okay. Farmer Jim, wrap it up. Yep. Goldman Sachs, 20% off on sale right now, 1.2 times tangible book value. All right. Good stuff, guys. Countdown to the Fed is on. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.